Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a weekly podcast about the latest new episode of Star Trek. This week, we're going to look at season two, episode two of Star Trek Lower Decks. And that episode is entitled Kayshawn, His Eyes Open. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Dr. Rodney Cup. I'm the philosophy guy. And I'm Dr. Michael Merrick, the media guy. And kind of here's our podcast boilerplate, if you will. The best way to keep track of our new episodes and other announcements is probably our Twitter feed, at Trek underscore Academy. We do have a website. It's thestartrekacademy.blogspot.com. And there you'll find links where you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and then lots of podcast sites for your podcatching software. Some of those sites like iTunes allow reviews. And if you like our podcast, please do leave a review to help more people find us. And Rodney, I do want to mention to listeners for the next few weeks, I'm going to sometimes be traveling without good internet access. So today I'm calling in with a regular phone line. Hopefully it won't be distracting, but if you hear any difference in audio quality in my voice, that is why. That's what's up. All right. It does sound different, but the good thoughts are coming through. So I think we'll be okay. So our first official order of business is a briefish description of the episode. We're trying to keep it short and sweet for you all. But if you've not seen the episode, spoilers are on the way. And this week, Michael will be doing the honors. Okay, thank you. So this episode introduces two more or less new characters. The first is Jet, now assigned to our Lower Decks shift. Jet and Mariner are kind of antagonistic because he resists her claim to be the unofficial leader of the team. For example, they go all to the Sonic Shower, which is a big gang shower with group nudity, and they take turns boosting the Sonic Shower strength until it's so strong that everybody else runs out of the room, evacuates, and Mariner and Jet both have nosebleeds. The other new character is the new chief of security, Lieutenant Kayshawn, who is Tamarian. Remember that Tamarians speak only in metaphors, but he is learning standard English. And the main story of the episode is about a collector similar to, you remember Kivas Facho in the Next Generation episode, The Most Toys. Well, this collector has died, and the Cerritos crew has to check his artifacts to make sure none is dangerous. And many of the artifacts are recognizable from past Star Trek or sometimes just from today's culture, and there's been a lot of talk about that on the Internet. The Lower Decks team gets to work, but the collector overseeing the work tries to pilfer something, and an automatic defense system kicks in and attacks the Lower Decks team with the goal of making them part of the collection. A Ravim almost immediately turns Kayshan into a hand puppet. The others grab him and run. Badass Mariner is ready to fight her way to the engine room to stop the automated defenses, but Jet says that their training says They don't need to be heroes. They just need to survive. And he wants them to go to some nearby escape pods. As the automated defenses attack, they find themselves in a room full of big skeletons, including, surprise, the skeleton of the giant Spock clone from the original animated series, suspended from the ceiling. Mariner keeps saying that her way would have been better and that she's not afraid of risk. But Jet points out that she needs to care for the risk that would be encountered by Tendi and Rutherford, 
Maybe they aren't ready for the risks of the big badass alternative. Mariner and Jet solved their disagreements basically by letting Tandy and Rutherford call the shots. The group makes their way to the escape pods and survives to return to Cerritos. Meanwhile, Boimler on the USS Titan, they're still fighting Paclids who've been attacking outposts. Boimler is attached to a commando team sent into the suspected next target, disguised as miners, to plant a tracking device on the Paclid shuttle. His team is not complimentary of the Enterprise D because it does too much exploring, but Boimler kind of likes that kind of mission. The away team is cornered by Paclids and can't transport out due to an ion cloud. Boimler figures out how to get the transporter through, except that it turns out that in returning to the Titan, he is duplicated, just like William and Thomas Riker were some years earlier. Captain Riker says that only one can remain on Titan and the other needs to return to Cerritos. One of the Boimlers kind of tricks the other into volunteering to go back to Cerritos. The Boimler that returns to Cerritos finds the Lower Decks team generally happy to see him, but Mariner will not forget that he left without saying goodbye. In sickbay, the doctor assures everyone that Keishan will return to normal, and Jet leaves the reunion feeling a little bit left out. The final plot thread is that Captain Freeman receives her command evaluations during this episode, and it says she micromanages and needs to show more trust in her senior officers. The whole Keishan being turned into a puppet thing, however, convinces her that she really needs to micromanage. All right. Thanks, Michael. So that's our summary for this week. Now we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of these individual elements that seemed uh, significant to us anyway. Yeah, I really should point out in the summary, I said that Jed is more or less a new character. Full disclosure, he did appear last season but in some very minor roles, not as prominent as in this episode. So he wasn't technically a new character, but new as far as the lower deck shift was concerned. At right. Least. Right. I could have lived without the gang shower scene, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it did, however, I mean, from a storytelling point of view, it did set up the, the competition between Mariner and Jet. And that leads to an important message if you will, a moral to the story of the episode. We'll talk about that message more when we get to that part of the podcast. Uh, but, uh, eh, <laughs> you know, I guess I guess the gang shower, all that scene, I, I could have lived without. They could have found a different way to do it. Yeah, it, it reminded me of a similar scene that a lot of our listeners will remember from the film adaptation of Starship Troopers. That's what it reminded me of. I think another function of that scene, though, was to show how, in a way, Mariner still misses Boimler, right? She says, you know, Boimler always kept that shower stall empty. And Jet's attitude is is like, well, he's not here anymore. You know, get over it. But maybe she also isn't quite as badass as she pretends to be because she, even though she, they're in a gang shower, she prefers a little bit of distance to the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not exactly privacy, but but a little bit. Don't know. I think we need to acknowledge that everybody and his dog on the internet is trying to list <laughs> all of the artifacts in the collector's exhibits. And there are probably at least a couple of dozen things that either connect to past Star Trek or other popular culture. We could spend probably 45 minutes 
just talking about those little things we saw in the collection. But we're not going to do that in this podcast. We're not going to try to review them all because if, you know you can you can Google them and you'll find lots of lots of lists. And every time you look, you'll see more things than that. However, that being said, it's hard not to mention the skeleton of the giant spot clone complete with part of his giant uniform intact. The giant spot clone was mentioned very briefly last season, and now we see it here too, or or the skeleton, the remains of the giant Spock. That episode of the original animated series where the giant Spock clone was created, to be honest, is often regarded as one of the worst of that animated series. In addition, I once saw an article, believe it or not, by Isaac Asimov, he wasn't talking about Star Trek, but he was talking about, you remember in the 1960s, the TV series Land of the Giants? No. Um, it was um, a ship goes through some kind of wormhole, lands on a planet where everybody's 10 times taller than than the, than the heroes, than the regular cast. Maybe yeah, I do remember but, that. Uh, yeah. Asimov basically said the human body cannot be scaled up to that size at least without looking a lot different, uh, because the bones scaled up proportionally wouldn't support the weight of the rest of the body. Mm. And you remember even, I'm not sure in the movies, but even in the comics, Marvel's Giant Man had trouble when he got to his big full size. So it is easy to just ignore the giant spot clone when we talk about what's called Star Trek canon. But here basically is a third time, you know, Mm. the original animated series, last season and this season of Lower Decks. And if we consider Lower Decks to be officially part of the overall Star Trek continuity, which may be a little controversial, then so is Giant Spock. So McMahon will not let us forget Giant Spock. All right. I noticed a a unicorn in the collection, and uh, I, I couldn't help but mention this. Is there a reference? Is that a reference to something in Star Trek? Because when I saw it, the first thing I thought of was Blade Runner. I don't know. You know, unicorns are so common images in 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 storytelling and uh, at least fantasy fantasy literature and movies and things like that. There was a movie that not many people know about uh, called Stardust, which actually had a had a really cool cast, and I recommend our listeners look it up. But there was a unicorn in there. Oh, okay. Um, there are some things in the collection that I think just don't have a direct reference. There was a, a large framed fish fossil. And, oh, I saw that. Yeah. You know, it is a scientific kind of thing. And I think at one point early in this episode, there was a mention that collectors are mainly looking for artifacts that have some kind of scientific connection. So, you know, right. there, there, there is so fish fossils, certainly scientific, but there's no reference in Star Trek that I can think of. So it's just a, a general thing. Okay. I thought I would ask you about that. Uh, I was wondering what, what you would think. One thing that I noticed that may or may not be significant, why turn Kayshawn into a puppet? Now, I know like one perfectly good answer to this question is, well, they need to set up the conflict between Jet and Mariner, right? Take Kayshawn out of there and suddenly it's just the ensigns competing for leadership in a way. But what I'm wondering is, you know, why turn Kayshawn into a puppet rather than something else? I don't know. Is it symbolic? It's something I'm thinking well, about. It might be. I mean, you're right. Any kind of taking him out, you know, freezing him or just whatever. But if you think about it, puppet is a metaphor 
Uh, it's a metaphor for essentially someone who is subject to someone else's control, right. like a puppet government or something like that. And he was the away team leader and he was removed from any kind of control. Maybe that's stretching things for what the writers had in mind. Um, but uh, at, at least, you know, I can see a little bit of a little bit of symbolism there. Mm hmm. Did you note Riker at one point after a battle concludes saying that's a wrap? <laughs> right. I think what that's, that's when they chase the packlet away, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's a tribute to Jonathan Frake's career as a director, including, among other things, he's directed a lot of the most important episodes of the the modern Star Trek series. They often call him in for a big episode, in part because he, he has such a strong feel for Star Trek overall. What did you think right. of his voice performance? I, I don't know if he was playing Riker so much as playing a caricature of Riker, <laughs> you know, which is fine with me. I mean, this is Lower Decks after all. What did you think? Well, I, I thought it was a little bit over the top. I mean, there are some times when you would expect in a command situation, the person in charge to be projecting, you know, mm -hmm, not, right. not exactly yelling, but 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 speaking very loudly, speaking from the diaphragm and all that to mm -hmm. be well heard. But there are other times that he could have just as reasonably spoken in a regular speaking voice. I'm sure this is how he was directed to perform people doing voice voice performance work like this they have people that help them understand what what they want to convey so i think that's probably how from the script writers on to the directors uh, wanted him to wanted him to sound i think your your point about playing a a, a caricature uh, injecting some comedy into it is probably pretty close on I did right. think that in this episode, uh, they did a nice job of incorporating the Temerian metaphors, and we learned a lot of them, or we, we puzzled them out, maybe you should say, in the Next Generation episode, Darmok, which is a very well-remembered and very, very positively remembered uh, episode of Next Generation. I think they did a good job with making Chairman Siggy into a villain. He seems to think that debating whether robots have rights or not is a waste of time, which is not the kind of thing a, a Star Trek fan wants to hear. When the automated defenses are activated, he points the finger at Tendi, the Orion, right? Which is a pretty racist. Or speciest, speciest. Or speciesist, yeah. And, and he was the one who triggered the automated defenses by stealing the fornication helmet. So by the time the skeleton of giant Spock crushes him, it doesn't really seem all that tragic. At least it didn't to me. That helmet, by the way, looked to me a lot like Sauron's helmet in the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies. I think that may be another Easter egg also. I'll have to go back and watch that. It is interesting that this episode made a point of needing to protect Tandy and Rutherford from the risk of the badass operation. But remember last season, Tandy went on, kind of accidentally, but went on a black ops mission and saved her team. That's right. And remember, Rutherford was able to single-handedly defeat a whole group of holographic mm, Borg. That's right. Uh, and then in this episode, they did save the day. They came up with a solution that helped them reach the escape pods. Right. No, that that's a really good point. And I think that, well, hopefully, you know, Jet and Mariner learned something <laughs> in this episode. I mean, they were so focused on competing with each other and so confident in their own ability to lead that they 
I guess they just forgot <laughs> that they there were other ensigns around who might have a lot to who do have a lot to offer. Right. I'll talk about this a little bit more later. It's one of the things I wanted to, to mention, but that's a really good point. Yeah, you know? I you know, I in one of the episodes last season, uh, Mariner basically said she doesn't want to look at higher rank and things right now because she has a bunch of things to figure out about herself. And I think this is one of them. And whether oh. she learns from it from this experience or not, this is one of the things she still needs to to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think we are ready though to talk about underlying meanings in the episode messages that the writers might have wanted to leave us with to me there there is an overall theme in this episode and the overall theme is what it means to be starfleet and with that comes mm. a lot of other meaning too but what it means to be starfleet it's the message from the conflict between mariner and jet and it's also the message boimler voices to his away team when they think they're all going to die Starfleet is about it's about a lot mm. of things. It's about service, duty, loyalty, honesty, exploration, peace, diplomacy, and of course personal responsibility. And both of these subplots here saw people distracted by the glory and the prestige of what they were doing and losing sight of uh, what it's really supposed to mean to be in Starfleet. And in both of the plots, thinking things through rather than just, if you will, shooting from the hip, mm -hmm. saves the day. Even Riker says he misses the exploration mission of the Enterprise-D as opposed to just constantly fighting pack lids. Right. Um, and I, I couldn't help compare this to a lot of video games based on Star Trek and other science fiction franchises that always seem to be about shoot 'em up And Rodney, I think you're more of a game player than I am here. But uh, I don't know that there are that many video games, particularly that aren't about conflict and space battles and things like that. And and it has been noted, and I certainly note that that is not really what Star Trek is about. But but it's what the games tend to tend to portray. Or you know, and speaking more broadly, just in modern movies and television, and and even in some book forms. You know, we've been undergoing for the last several years just an avalanche of dystopian stories that, generally speaking, right. are about unethical people doing bad things to each other. And I've never liked that kind of story, probably in part because I grew up on Star Trek, which is different from that. Right. I, I don't really think that Mariner and Jet went that far into dystopia or even Boimler's away team, but still what it means to be Starfleet and all the positive values there is a strong message in, in this episode. And, and I like the way that they embedded that message about Starfleet values into what was basically a, a pretty action-filled episode. Yeah, that is nice. Now that you, now that you mention it. Um, and I, I had a few thoughts while you were talking. I think that Roddenberry, I mean, if he were today would say, and probably has said that, you know, Star Trek isn't about conflict. <laughs> it's about avoiding conflict, right? And another thing is, I think McMahon has said before, the, the creator of Lower Decks, that his Star Trek, the one he grew up with, was Next Generation. And the message in Next Generation was always that conflict was the last resort, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a really good episode for those reasons that it, like you say, I mean, it, it emphasizes that message about what Star Trek is. It's, it's, it's very Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So yeah, good thoughts. My takeaway from this episode is related, I think, to your observations 
I was kind of thinking about this episode as a workplace comedy. And I think the last episode was as well. You know, in the last episode, uh, the focus was on the working relationship between Freeman and Ransom, right? And this one, I think, is, is also in a way a workplace comedy, but it's, it's focused more on crisis management, right? And how leaders lead through crises, Right. This week, you're the one talking about leadership. You kind of teased me last week. That, yeah, I guess that I so. I to bring up leadership, but... but right. Uh, My turn. Uh, yeah, your turn. Yeah. So um, some themes I pulled out of this, you know, speaking of Freeman, does a good leader micromanage or does she trust her subordinates? And, you know, if you've been in a situation like this, most of us have, we'd rather our leaders trust us. And I think in this episode, Freeman got the wrong learned the wrong lesson here. We'll see where that goes in the future. Does a good leader dive in head first or think things through is another theme. And I don't know if we really have an answer to that. I think that those leadership styles have their good points and can work in different situations. Maybe. I don't think we got a, maybe a clear answer to that if you put this episode in the context of the entire series. Anyway, that's, that's my opinion. Another theme, does a good leader goof around on the job or do they stay focused on the task at hand? That was a conflict between Jet and Mariner. And I think we get some clear answers to a couple other themes. Should a leader be so confident in her abilities that she ignores or neglects to solicit the input of others? And I think the answer to that is clearly no. You shouldn't do that. Tendy and Rutherford save their butts, right? And then finally, does a good leader accept responsibility when things go south? You know, late in the episode, there's a point at which both Jet and Mariner admit to each other that they have bungled the situation in, in some way. And at that point, they stop competing with each other and they start working together. So it's, it's you know, a bit of humility as, as a leader is a good thing. A note reflecting on your comments, Captain Freeman in her own way, is not following Starfleet protocol, at least as Starfleet spells it out in her evaluation. You know, particularly mm-hmm. last season, the 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 big thing was about Mariner not following protocol and Captain Freeman insisting on protocol. But mm-hmm. in a way, she's not. If you accept the the points of her evaluation as the Starfleet protocol for <laughs> captains and subordinates is, so in her right. way, she's not following protocol either. So kind of time for some some final thoughts here. Lower Decks is known for its Easter eggs. That's something people always look for and things that are slipped in. Easter eggs in, in this context being references to past Trek. And this episode probably had the most ever in those collectors uh, exhibits. Uh, we bypassed listing them, but it was it still was fun to pause the episode scene by scene and try to identify all of them we could. And so I, I have a feeling this will end up being a popular episode. I was yeah. kind of disappointed by how Boimler's return to the Cerritos affected Jet. In a few moments, he went from being part of the yeah. team to almost being an outsider. Yeah. Now, I didn't necessarily want to see him add as a fifth member of the regular cast, but he, he was kind of, kind of mumbly as he walked off because uh, he, he all of a sudden wasn't feeling appreciated. And I hope that we will see him in the future being appreciated. Me too. And, you know, Mariner may be opposed to his uh, crisis management style. And he's not perfect, of course, but I mean, he's a very good officer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he he came through when when it was needed. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see him again. I made a prediction last time I wanted to come back to. I, I predicted that Boimler would be back on the Cerritos by the end of the episode. And as it turns out, I was right and I was wrong. <laughs> right? So, yeah. now look, some, some people might say, no, 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 Brad, Boimler's back on the Cerritos and William is on the Titan. But I don't think there's really any way to know who is who. Right? I mean, at the moment... Boimler's duplicated the clones. They're quantitatively identical, right? There's no saying, I don't think, who is Bradward and who is William. And the same thing goes for William and Thomas Riker. Or or at least which is the original and which is the duplicate caused by the funny transporter beam through the through the ion cloud, which is yes. the original and which is the duplicate. Yes. And you know, after eight years. They're different, uh, William and Thomas, that is, they're distinguishable, but at the instant of duplication, they were indistinguishable, right? So <laughs> anyway, I, I did not see that plot twist coming, uh, which was great, but I wanted to make it, a note of that. It'll be interesting to see if the Boimler on the Titan keeps coming back. Plus, if the Titan and, and Riker keep coming back or if this was a kind of a one shot appearance and then sort of like with Thomas Riker, they're out of the picture for storytelling. Thomas Riker did come back. Yeah, I think in a Deep Space Nine episode. Just, That's just right. Once. But uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I have another prediction. Not that people are waiting for them, but for the rest of the season during that uh, briefing on the Titan, they were talking about weaponizing this Veruvian ore. And they were saying that this is something that's beyond the pack lids. And Riker says that somebody else is involved. Someone is helping them do this. And I want to know who, I mean, if they're right, I want to know who it is. So I think we're going to be seeing more pack lids this season, even though I, I, the Titans more or less out of the picture now, I think now that Bradward's back on the Cerritos, but I bet we see more of them. We also find out who is helping the pack lids with this, Veruvian ore, and I'm really looking forward to finding out who that is. I think we probably will, but I think it's more than helping the Paclids. I think that whoever this is, whatever group it is or person it is, mm -hmm. is using the Paclids for his or her own purposes. Uh, so this ore, which can be which can be turned into an explosive, I don't think it's the Paclids who have the plan to use it. The, the the new secret big bad is the is the one who's going to use it, uh, and the packlids are just how they're collecting it. So the packlids are kind of like a client a client species here. So I think I think we will see whoever, whatever or whoever this big bad is that is manipulating or using the packlids. Mm -hmm. I think that will probably be the the focal point of this storyline as it plays out over the season. We have that to look forward to. Indeed. So I guess that just about does it for this week. I guess so. So we'll thank people for joining us. And uh, of course, we'll be back next week for Lower Decks. I, I haven't come across an episode name yet for next week. We'll see what that is, but uh, we will definitely be back. The best way to keep track of our new episodes and other announcements is our Twitter feed at Trek underscore Academy. And you can also find us at the Star Trek Academy dot blogspot com. That site also has links to several platforms for your podcast app. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you all next week. Next week.